Hi, natural beauties. Welcome to Clean Beauty Over Coffee, where we like to discuss all that is natural beauty, wellness, and of course, skincare over some delicious coffee. So get your preferred drink ready and let's chat. I'm your host, Marie. And I'm Rosie. This episode of Clean Beauty Over Coffee is a special one because we discuss a cause near and dear to our hearts, lung cancer awareness. Today is an interview between myself and Rosie, a stage four lung cancer survivor, and we'll discuss how her journey took her to clean beauty. Let's get into it. So Rosie, tell us a little bit about lung cancer. We don't hear that much about it. So what what can you tell us about it? Lung cancer, you're correct. People don't talk much about it. You hear about breast cancer a lot more than lung cancer. However, according to the CDC and the American Lung Association, more people in the United States die from lung cancer than any other type of cancer. Each year, more people die of lung cancer than colon, breast, and prostate cancers combined. That's actually really scary. It is the deadliest cancer. Is it curable? According to doctors, no. (laughs) I, I actually have a quote from the Medical News Today website. There is an article that they published on January 28th of 2021. So it's just last year. The article states, is stage four lung cancer curable? No, there is currently no cure for stage four lung cancer. However, certain treatments can alleviate the symptoms and prolong a person's life. That's pretty gloomy. It is. I have faced that myself. That's that's a scary thought. So for something that's so common, do they at least know what generally causes it? Well, they have a variety of suspects. It could be smoking. It could be exposure to toxins, pollution, asbestos, radiation, and other reasons that nobody knows. So I could just walk out of my house and be vulnerable to all the potential causes of cancer, any type of cancer, really. Absolutely. For lung cancer, actually, what's amazing is that about 30% of the cases are people who have never smoked. We tend to associate lung cancer with smokers, but that's actually not the case. Are you a smoker? <laughs> no, I have never smoked, but I do intend to start. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, as it's one of the deadliest cancers, or it is the deadliest cancer, what is the chance of survival? Since doctors do say that once you reach a certain stage, there's no going back. More than half of people with lung cancer die within one year of being diagnosed. It's uh, pretty gloomy again. Man, that's awful. What, what kind of detection or screenings do they have for this? So lung cancer is one of these cancers that is mostly asymptomatic until it's too late. Usually it's detected in stage four and it's detected by accident. You break your arm, you go get an x-ray and they realize that, oh, oops, actually you have tumors everywhere. Stage four is when it has spread outside of your lungs already to other organs and lymph nodes. It's the final stage. 
So what was it like for you specifically? How did you detect yours? Just like everyone else, probably, I had a prolonged cough that my doctor couldn't figure out what was causing it. And that was after a trip to China. So he was suspecting maybe some sort of novelty virus. Well, that was in 2015, so before COVID. And sent me for some x-rays after three months of different antibiotics and realized that they they saw something on the x-rays, sent me for more tests and biopsy and so on. And this is how they found it. And it was stage four. Biopsy is very invasive. How many biopsies did you have to do? Well, my first biopsy failed. It was a biopsy that lasted several hours. It was a CT scan biopsy where basically you, the patient, is in a CT scan. And you have a surgeon who goes with a mega needle into your lungs and extracts a piece of the tumor between your ribs. Wow, Jesus Christ. And that is done in multiple steps. Your body takes a huge amount of radiation because they take a shot and then dig with the needle deeper and then another shot and go a little bit deeper. Anyways, mine was unsuccessful because they managed to collapse my lungs and the sample was not viable. So then they could have caught it before. But because it failed and they said, come back later? Yes. So... You had time to spread. I had time to spread a little bit more. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Then after that, I had another biopsy that was done under complete anesthesia. And they did a biopsy of the lungs and also of the lymph nodes. So they did realize that my cancer had spread everywhere. That's a scary thought. It is. It is. This is actually, because it's so hard to detect in the first place, this is why lung cancer has the white ribbon or a transparent ribbon. That was the idea, because no one can see it until it's too late. I am extremely lucky, indeed. Now, I I started going in with the technicalities and the scary numbers, but tell me a little bit personally about your your journey. Not Not just the screening process, but just all that went into it. Well, it was quite a journey. I was diagnosed in October of 2017 with a non-small cell lung cancer stage 4. As I said, I have never smoked and nobody could tell me exactly what led me to getting cancer. The doctor suspected many different possibilities. I have lived in very unhealthy places my entire life until moving to the US. Countries that don't have any pollution policies third world countries. I have also been exposed to radiation, the radiation from Chernobyl, given that I was born in Bulgaria and I was there when the whole radiation cloud from Chernobyl crossed Europe. So many possibilities, nobody exactly knew. When I was diagnosed, it was pretty devastating. It was devastating for me, for my family. My oncologist didn't want to give me any false hope given the statistics that I just gave you, they didn't give me any chances. They didn't have hope for me. They just expected to put me on a chemotherapy that would extend my life by just a few months. And they tried to consider surgical intervention, but it appeared to be too far-fetched because of the spread of the cancer I had. 
hundreds of tumors throughout both lungs and my lymph nodes. According to the surgeon that I saw, his exact words were, it's not if, it's when, there's no point in doing the surgery. So it was basically a really hard hit for my entire family. After I managed to get over the devastation of the news, I decided that it just couldn't be the only option. I couldn't do this to my family, to my kids, to my friends, husband, parents, everyone around me. So I decided to look for answers, decided to do everything in my power to change this situation. And the, the first thing that I needed to change was my attitude. I needed to become positive, to believe that I can take things into my own hands. Yeah, that sounds like a very difficult thing to do when your numerous oncologists are preparing you for the worst. Very true. It was really hard. I had to change my belief system and, and everything. Not to mention the support system that you have. Everybody takes information differently. How, how did that work for you with your support system? So my support system, my family was completely devastated. It took them a while to believe what I told them that I will do everything in my power to get over this, to beat cancer. Unfortunately, they had heard it from the doctors and when you hear something from a doctor, you tend to believe that it's written in stone, but I kept telling them that that's not entirely true. That's amazing. <laughs> you are my inspiration. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you went about treating the cancer. So first, I started reading everything about cancer. I had no idea what I was dealing with. I needed to understand what cancer is, how it works, what are my options here. And so I read all sorts of books. I listened to all sorts of podcasts. I needed to understand and to tackle the problem from all sides, which is pretty much physical, mental, emotional. I realized that I have really gotten sidetracked from a lot of things that I had known to be good before and then somehow forgot. So it just took a lot of reading and listening to experts and biohackers and people that became my gurus through my journey. So the most important thing that I did was I went to see a nutritionist who is my absolute favorite doctor, Dr. Collins. He is a chiropractor and a nutritionist and he was the one and only doctor who looked at my scans and said, you can do this. He had a very holistic approach he helped me realize the importance of diet and environment and he actually took the time he was the only doctor that took the time to explain to me exactly what cancer is how it functions how it affects the body the mechanism behind what feeds it what starves it so he put me on a strict ketogenic diet Oof. and explained why how long were you on that diet i was on that diet super strictly throughout my entire chemotherapy treatment and a little bit after. So three and a half years. Obviously my favorite diet would be donuts and milk, but I had to be on the ketogenic diet. <laughs> that must have been hard to do alone. Actually I wasn't alone. My entire family went on the keto diet with me. That helps a lot. Absolutely. You don't have to deal with Nutella around the house. So tell us a little bit about the ketogenic diet just briefly so the ketogenic diet was crucial for my cancer treatment 
because it does not involve pretty much any carbs. My dose of carbs was 10 grams of carbs per day and I had to eat a lot of fats and a little bit of protein. The reason for that is because cancer feeds off of carbs and sugar, mainly sugar, but any carbs will do because they get turned into glucose in the body. So the idea was to starve the cancer while feeding the rest of the healthy cells in your body. And I personally believe that that enhanced my chemotherapy tremendously. It's crazy whenever you think about how many of the foods that we shop for actually have sugar. Things you don't expect. For example, when I'm shopping for, let's say, deli meat to snack on, I am often surprised by how much sugar and then some is found in just meat. Absolutely. You need to learn to read labels, which is something that I had to do. I had never read labels. To me, deli meat meant deli meat. Mm -hmm. I would have never suspected having sugar in that. So did you have to make any other kind of lifestyle changes, look at chemicals? I did. I actually realized that everything around us is full of chemicals. We are surrounded by toxins. They are absolutely everywhere. Just like you said, sugar is in everything. Toxins are in every single product that we use. First of all, skincare. Cosmetics are full of toxins. And being on chemotherapy, I couldn't afford to add any toxins to my body. So that was the first thing that I cleaned outside of my diet. Then I started switching other products like detergent, cleaning products, shampoo. Everything appears to have toxins and it was actually pretty hard to figure out what to switch and how to find products that are actually clean. So there is such a thing as the maximum toxic load for your body and I didn't want to test the limits. I changed pretty much everything. Uh, when it comes to skincare, that was the main thing because around 60% of what you apply to your skin will be in your bloodstream in the next 26 seconds. That definitely makes you think twice before applying any skincare. It's as if you're eating what you're placing on your skin, whether it be makeup, skincare, whatever, even the clothes that you're wearing. Like you were talking about detergent. The detergent is in your fabric. Yes, absolutely. It touches your skin and it penetrates. Mm -hmm. Your skin is an amazing organ. It protects your body, but it also lets in a lot of stuff. Speaking of good quality skincare, what do you do for that? Well, back when I was diagnosed, I had started making my own stuff. And actually, that's exactly the time when Vilao entered my life. And it was just the stars aligned and it happened. I was born in Bulgaria. And I remember distinctly my grandmother and great-grandmother and all the natural, mainly rose-based beauty concoctions that they had. But as most women nowadays, I was using just my favorite chemical-filled brands advertised by beautiful actresses and models. You know, you always want to be like them. Always. <laughs> so I had to make the switch and it was the perfect timing for me. I was looking for different possible replacements for my expensive skincare. So one day, my friend Doris came to our house and uh, she asked if we would be interested, my daughters and I, in uh, creating a, an entirely natural skincare brand. And that was absolutely perfect for me at that time in my life. And for those of you who don't listen or have not listened to our earlier podcast, Doris is the third of our Clean Beauty Over Coffee trio. 
So this is how Vilal was born and this is how it entered my life. And I'm really happy because now I know exactly what goes in my skincare and I know why too. <laughs> I know that we work with the best vendors, all of them are organic, they're all sustainable. We have the cleanest, high quality products. We don't use any preservatives. Everything is absolutely natural. And uh, our products are also waterless, so it, they have just the highest possible concentration of goodness than any other brand that I know. Our products are aloe vera based, as opposed to most cosmetics, which are water based. Even our serums don't contain any water. It's just highest concentration of products. Yeah, I mean, you are what you eat and your skin eats too. Absolutely. So we don't put anything in our products that we wouldn't eat. Do you have any advice for people that are going through cancer treatment? Yes, first of all, believe that you can beat cancer. If I can do it, you can do it. And then make all the changes to everything natural as soon as possible. Even if you're not in treatment, just make that switch because it will help you down the line. I believe that I was incredibly lucky to have my support system and to be cancer free five years later after being diagnosed with stage four. I also believe that the radical change of my eating habits, environment, the way of thinking, and the enormous support that I received from my family and friends contributed to my healing. But uh, I'm not completely transitioned to everything natural. It's a journey. It takes forever. There are many things that I still need to upgrade to nature-based. And don't let what other people say determine your fate. That is entirely up to you. Be positive and be natural. Mm -hmm. Any final words? I want to wrap up with a quote by Oprah Winfrey that I really like. She says, the greatest discovery of all time is that a person can change his future by morally changing his attitude. Beautifully said and very accurate. Wise words. Thank you so much, Rosie, again for sharing your story. It's a very vulnerable time and a very vulnerable thing to share with the audience, but I'm sure someone out there really appreciates it. I really hope that someone needed to hear that. And you know, all everything what you said, it, it applies to anybody, not just somebody going through cancer treatment. It could be the child of somebody who's going through cancer treatment, someone going through multiple sclerosis treatment even. It, it applies to everybody. You are in control. You need to take everything by the reins, research, look into everything, question everything. Yes, knowledge is power. Once you know what you're dealing with, you're better prepared to deal with it. Absolutely. And with that said, thank you all so much for joining us today on this episode of Clean Beauty Over Coffee. Uh, please do follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Vilao underscore nature or follow our Facebook page Vilao Nature. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.